This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Tuesday, September 6, 2011. I'm Caleb Brown. The federal legal challenge against big banks for selling toxic assets to Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac might lead you to think that Fannie and Freddie were victims in all of this, or that big banks didn't have an idea what they were doing. Those claims need scrutiny. Mark Calabria, Director of Financial Regulation Studies at the Cato Institute, comments. What was Fannie and Freddie's role in securing these assets that, by all accounts now, were terrible? Well, to give a little background, and and for starters, uh, the Fannie and Freddie's regulator, the Federal Housing Finance Administration, uh, fondly known as FHFA, uh, is the entity instigating the suit. And while we've put about $160 billion into bailing out Fannie and Freddie, a part of that about 40 to 50 billion in losses have come from Fannie and Freddie's purchase of private label mortgage backed securities. Now, these are securities that somebody else originated, bought the mortgage, packaged them together, and sold Freddie and Fannie the underlying security. So they never bought the individual mortgage, they bought the security. And again, that's not the bulk of their losses, but it's a significant portion of their losses. Uh, and that has been losses both on the value of the underlying securities and the defaults for the loans underlying those securities. So why does it matter that they bought the security and not the mortgage? Well, when you buy a security that has been sold on the security market, you open up a whole Pandora of securities laws. You can be sued for securities fraud, for instance, if you as the packager. So let's say, you know, Bank A buys these mortgages, puts them in a back in a package and sells that package, that MBS to Fannie and Freddie. Uh, and then is, if it's sold out into the marketplace and it's done, it's done a filing with the Securities and Exchange Commission, then it is subject to anti-fraud provisions of the 1933 and 1934 1934 Securities Acts. So in a way, if you had just originated that loan and sold that loan directly to Fannie rather than put it into a security, your legal liability as a lender would be significantly less. And that makes a certain amount of sense. Absolutely. Because absolutely. The, a, a, an individual mortgage is a heck of a lot more transparent. You can actually get information about the human being who is uh, responsible for paying that back. Potentially. I mean, the thing to keep in mind is that individual mortgages weren't sold on quote-unquote public markets, whereas the mortgage-backed securities were. And at the height of the bubble, and we're talking, you know, 2005, 2006, about 40% of these private label mortgage-backed securities were bought by Fannie and Freddie. They were the ultimate investor. Uh, of course, some of these were actually bought by the banks that ended up holding them. Uh, others were bought by other institutions such as, you know, the German versions of GSE, the lands banks that were backed by the governments there. And so the argument that FHFA, the government is making in this case, is that the originators, when they sold and packaged these mortgage-backed securities and Fannie and Freddie bought them, that Freddie and Fannie were defrauded, that the information that they were given in terms of the quality of these mortgages was inaccurate. And so that, and again, if Fannie and Freddie had bought individual mortgages, uh, what they often do, both on an individual mortgage and usually a pool of mortgages, are they have agreements, contracts called representations and warranties. And what that means is it's a long list of A, B, C, and D things that if you, that Freddie and Fannie could go back and check off and say, okay, you didn't do this correctly. You have to take the loan back. Now, that generally, the reps and warranties does a violation of reps and warranties not generally constitute fraud? It just constitutes a violation of the contract, and you take the loan back, which is very different than being um, sued for loss. So we're not seeing FHFA do as it's done in many other instances, where Freddie and Fannie have actually put back a significant amount of individual loans to the banks. You know, 
Bank of America, Countrywide, all these institutions have had to, have been forced to take back loans. That's not what happened. What's happening in this case is FHFA is trying to recover a loss of the value of the actual mortgage-backed securities rather than pushing those mortgage-backed securities to their creators. And the securitization process complicates returning mortgages back to their originator. It does in the private label um, area. And the reason why is that unlike Freddie and Fannie, when Freddie and Fannie put together mortgage-backed security, or this is this is true with Ginnie Mae as well, they put a pool of mortgages together, they put all the mortgages in that pool, and they wrap a guarantee around it. And that guarantee means that you don't you know, there's a credit guarantee. Someone's going to cover loss in this. We've ultimately found that the taxpayer in this case. In the structure of private label mortgage-backed securities, in order to get a AAA, since these mortgage-backed securities do not have a government guarantee, they create tranches. And what I mean by that is slices of who takes the first risk. Freddie and Fannie only bought the AAA pieces of the private label mortgage-backed securities. And so what that means is that, in general, the first five, six, seven, eight, ten percent of the losses were borne by somebody else. So Freddie and Fannie did try to go out and buy what they perceived as the safest pieces of, of these mortgage-backed securities. But in order for that safe piece to exist... The, the, the riskier piece has to be created, absolutely. Um, you can't have that risky piece, which were often bought by hedge funds and bought by private equity and, and even bought by some of the investment banks. Uh, but again, in any transaction, generally, the AAA piece of a pool of mortgage-backed securities, even subprime mortgage-backed securities, was usually about 95% of the pool. You know, somewhere somewhere in that range, most of it was rated as AAA, and it's important to keep in mind that you might sit back and say, "Oh, that, that's crazy." I mean, you know, it's going to lose more than five percent. Well, you have to keep in mind as well that the losses are not simply a level of foreclosures, but they're also a, a function of the delinquencies and the, and the severity of the loss. So, for instance, it's quite common when a mortgage goes in the foreclosure for the lender to collect. 50 to 60, even as much as 80%. And accordingly, certainly in a market like 2005, where house values were sort of quite high, you could foreclose and actually not lose much money at all. But in this environment, you're lucky to get 50 cents on the dollar. So clearly, to get to 5% loss, you actually need, on average, about 10% of the loans to go completely bad, which is about what we're seeing now, a little bit more than that. I mean, we've seen delinquencies around 12, 13, 14% currently in the subprime market. So even the AAAs arguably were structured in such a way so that even in this scenario, most of them would not take many losses. Now, Freddie and Fannie are regulated in what they're allowed to purchase, um, and they got into subprime mortgages fairly late in the game. It all depends on how one defines subprime. If one defines subprime by credit score, such as anybody under, say, 680 FICO or 660 FICO, then Freddie and Fannie have been involved in poor quali credit quality borrowers quite some time. Uh, and were involved in that market, certainly in the 90s. If one defines that as buying loans, certainly mortgage-backed securities from subprime lenders, then they ramped up late in the game. Uh, you know, I, And I certainly will note, as, as a matter of Prior to some extent, if the reform bills that were put in the Senate uh, had passed in 2005, it would have prohibited Freddie and Fannie from buying these mortgage-backed securities, and unfortunately, that that did not happen. So there were people who raised questions about the uh, 
quality of assets that Freddie and Fannie were holding and holding on their balance sheet. For instance, Freddie and Fannie had held airplane leases, credit card receivables. Uh, there was a big pushback in the 90s when they held RJR Reynolds tobacco bonds on their, on their books. And so this is what happens when you create a government guarantee. Uh, these entities are incentivized to essentially become hedge funds and to arbitrage that spread. Freddie and Fannie were among a large group of institutions that were demanding this kind of investment. And I think that's a really important point, because certainly a question that, that I maybe might actually be impossible to answer, but I think an important question to try to answer is, given that the subprime mortgage market essentially doubled during the time that Freddie and Fannie essentially doubled their purchases of private label mortgage-backed securities, I mean, what is the causality? Uh, you know, I just would certainly argue that these loans would not get made if there was not investor demand for them. And that time from 2004 to 2006 in which the market exploded, the demand, investor demand appetite on the part of Freddie and Fannie exploded. So certainly if Freddie and Fannie had stayed out of that market and not bought any private label mortgage-backed securities, I think it's reasonable to say that the subprime mortgage market would have been a lot smaller overall. They were at the height of the market 40% of the they bought 40% of the new issuance in the market. And some big banks stayed out of subprime mortgage lending altogether. Absolutely. And I think that's the thing that's lost in this financial crisis, because it's it's made as either that this is a big wave that washes everybody out, or you know nobody could have seen this coming. There are a number of institutions that did the right thing and survived and were strong. And, and, and there are a number of institutions that did the wrong thing and didn't survive. And then, of course, there are institutions that did the wrong thing and got bailed out. And so they survived when they shouldn't have. So Again, the, the reaction of the, of the financial sector was not homogeneous. Everybody did not do the same thing all the time. There were a variety of strategies, some that performed well, that some that performed didn't. Certainly those institutions that were the most highly leveraged, like Freddie and Fannie. At one time, Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac were both leveraged close to 201 on a fair market basis. So you look at the investment banks like Bear Stearns that were leveraged 30 to 1, Freddie and Fannie were certainly playing with fire in a much bigger way. And that's important to keep in mind. Any of those that were highly leveraged and had poor quality assets tended to perform badly. And those institutions that chose to be um, to hold sufficient capital and to uh, watch what they were doing essentially came out of this okay. Mark Calabria is Director of Financial Regulation Studies at the Cato Institute. Read more of his work at Cato.org. 